Welcome to another episode of Questions. I'm your host, Nathan Elam, and we wanted to take a moment to remind you to uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and make sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to have some exciting stuff coming up, a new new podcast that we're going to be launching in the near future, and so we don't want you to miss that. And so uh, please like us on those platforms, and we would love to connect with you. So uh, I'm in the studio with Pastor Joel today, and a lot of things have been going on in our culture right now. Uh, Pastor John MacArthur and his church has recently engaged in civil disobedience and uh, gathering together once again as the saints. And so we have a question today regarding civil disobedience. So this is in from Blake, who writes, should Christians always submit to those in positions of civil authority? If not, what is the biblical criteria for Christians rebelling against the civil magistrate? Pastor Joel, what does God's word have to say? Great question. Thanks, Blake. Um, and, and that is the quintessential question. Um, the first, your first half of the question, your first question is kind of two questions is, you know, um, is there ever a time to go against those in positions of civil authority? The quick answer is yes. Um, but the real question is, what's the criteria? How do we discern when it's time to actually rebel? Because otherwise, it's just too easy to say that you know Christians only submit to the civil magistrate when we agree. But if you only submit to someone in a position of authority when you agree, then that's not actually submission. That's you don't you don't have to you don't have to be in submission, right? Like you just. All that says is I'm just going to do what I think is right, and from time to time we'll happen to agree, and in those moments we'll happen to do the same thing. Uh, but that's not submission. Submission implies that there are times where you disagree, and yet you still comply. And that's what submission is. Submission to authority means that this person trumps me, and even though we disagree on this particular issue, uh, they take priority. I'm going to submit to their will, not my own. So... I think the Bible teaches real submission to the civil authorities, meaning there are times where Christians are called to submit, to comply, even when we disagree. But at the same time, there is certainly, there is certainly a category, a biblical category, where Christians should rebel, a righteous rebellion, a civil disobedience. But the question is, what is the biblical criteria for that? How how can we, because it's a difficult thing to discern, is it not? We, we have to discern between, all right, I disagree with a civil magistrate, but is this one of those moments where I have an opportunity to actually display true submission, aka complying with something I disagree with? Or is my disagreement so significant, so profound in this particular moment that it actually constitutes a reason for civil disobedience? for not submitting. So what is the criteria? What is the determining factor between disagreeing with those in authority yet still submitting versus disagreeing with those in authority and rebelling? That's your question, and it's a good one. So I've written on this subject. Allow me to read some of the things that I've written. First, let's look at some biblical examples of civil disobedience. When it comes to the Christian's duty to submit to the civil authorities, it is important that we rightly interpret the whole of Scripture on this matter. Firstly, it is important to recognize that Romans 13, which many Christians and pastors are quoting in this season, 
that is the biblical text, so often being cited for why churches should comply with the current government regulations, Romans 13, it actually says nothing, absolutely nothing about Christians being required by God to submit to unrighteous rulings handed down by the civil magistrate. Instead, Romans 13 merely describes God's ideal purpose. It's not even a prescriptive text as much as it is a descriptive text. It describes God's ideal purpose for those in civil positions of civil authority. And therefore, it assumes that Christians would do well to submit to these civil governments if these civil governments are doing precisely what God ideally has purposed for civil governments. However, when we survey other scriptural texts, we quickly discover that there is a clear biblical principle for Christians submitting to civil authorities even when these governments hand down unrighteous rulings. For instance, Rome was undoubtedly taxing its citizens at a rate that was wicked in the sight of God. It was clearly unrighteous for the Roman Empire to demand that its citizens submit to this unreasonable taxation. And yet, when Jesus was questioned about this, he responded by saying, Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. That's Mark 12, 17. Therefore, although it was wrong for the civil magistrate to enforce such burdensome taxation, it was righteous for Christians in Rome to submit to this civil law. So we can say that Christians are biblically required to submit to the civil magistrate even if its, un its ruling is unrighteous. However, the question which still remains, the question that you're raising today, Blake, is this. Is there ever a time in which Christians are not required to submit to those in positions of civil authority? In order to answer this question faithfully, we must once again survey the whole of Scripture. So, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, we find these words. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthing stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. This was certainly a righteous rebellion on the part of the Egyptian midwives against the king of Egypt, who was the highest civil magistrate in the land at that time. Also, Rahab refused to report the Hebrew spies in righteous defiance of the civil authorities at Jericho. That's in Joshua chapter 2. Furthermore, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego righteously rebelled against the king's edict when they were commanded to bow down and worship the golden image of the king. That's the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And in addition to this, we see Daniel himself was also willing to righteously rebel in Daniel chapter 6, verse 7 through 10. Daniel chapter 6, verse 7 through 10, I believe is incredibly helpful for this particular time. It says this, all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, 
He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Therefore, see, when a decree of the king was ordered that forbid Daniel from continuing to act in obedience to God, Daniel courageously chose to rebel against it. And lastly, although more examples could certainly be given, it is important to remember that even the apostles chose to righteously rebel against the Jewish council, which served as both a religious and civil authority for the Jews at that time. When the apostles were instructed not to preach in the name of Jesus any longer, they courageously and joyfully defied those authorities. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 27 through 29, where the apostles say, you judge for yourselves what is right. To obey men or to obey God? Now, let's go back to the case of Daniel. See, it's worth noting that Daniel did not find it necessary to throw any extra punches, if you will, toward the civil authorities of his day. However, notice that he was deliberate not to pull any punches either. Daniel was committed to praying three times a day with his windows open toward Jerusalem. This was in accordance with God's covenant, which was found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27 through 30. See, the fact that Daniel's windows remained open was due to the substance of his worship, not the circumstances of his worship. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27 through 30, God promised to hear the prayers of his people, even if they were held captive in a distant land, as Daniel was. If they were to pray toward Jerusalem, where the temple of God was constructed. See, as it pertains to the New Testament church, the substance of our worship is preaching, it's prayer, it's singing, and it is the sacraments. These elements of our worship cannot be altered or changed by Christians, but the circumstances of our worship may be changed. For example, gathering in a parking lot may alter the circumstances of our worship. But live streaming a church's service actually changes the substance of our worship. This is because the Bible clearly commands Christians to physically gather together. Hebrews 10, 25. However, the Bible does not command where or when Christians should physically gather together. It could be in a park at 9 a.m. on the Lord's Day. Or it could be inside a church building at 11 a.m. on the Lord's Day. That belongs to the circumstances of our worship. But Daniel praying, just praying general, generally, his prayer belongs undoubtedly to the substance of his worship. And in the case of Daniel, praying more specifically with open windows facing Jerusalem actually also belonged to the substance of his worship not the circumstances. Daniel was not praying with open windows just to stick it to the man. That's what I'm getting at. He prayed with open windows facing Jerusalem because the word of God, there was a covenant made with the Jewish people at the christening of the temple with Solomon and the Lord that said if the, anyone would face that temple, even if they were held captive in a far distant land, if they would pray and face that temple and cry out to God, God would hear them. 
That's why Daniel prayed with his windows open. Not just to make some kind of political point, not just to stick it to the man, not to throw any unnecessary punches, but because in the case of Daniel, open windows facing Jerusalem belonged not merely to the circumstances of his worship, but to the substance of his worship. The circumstances of our worship may be altered, but the substance may not. Physically gathering together is not circumstantial. It is the element, the substance of our worship. We are commanded to gather together. Where? When? There's some wiggle room. But the mere fact of physically gathering, there can be no debate. So are Christians being specifically targeted in the case of COVID-19? That's a question that I often get as a pastor. Certainly. There are some distinctions between these biblical examples and the recent rulings issued by our civil magistrate due to COVID-19. But for the sake of this argument, we must all admit that there is most assuredly a legitimate biblical category for Christians to righteously rebel against the civil magistrate. Therefore, the task of those who desire to diligently obey the scripture is simply to determine the proper biblical criteria. So this gets to your, your real, the crux of your question, Blake. What is the proper criteria for when it is both appropriate and necessary, righteous, for Christians to rebel? Some of us may be tempted to conclude from the previous biblical examples that the common denominator in each of these cases, whether it be the Hebrew midwives or Rahab or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or the apostles or Daniel, we might be tempted to conclude that the common denominator in each of these cases was the fact that the people of God were being specifically targeted rather than Christians and non-Christians both suffering side by side. However, this is simply not true. In the case of Daniel, the decree of King Darius made it illegal for anyone in all of his kingdom to pray to any god. Any god. Not just Yahweh. Not just the triune Christian god, but any god. Or, notice, to petition any man. This decree oppressed those who worshipped the true God right alongside everyone else. And in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was exactly the same. The decree of King Nebuchadnezzar in that case affected everyone in the whole of the kingdom, even the pagans who worshipped false gods. However, it is important to recognize that when governing authorities remove civil liberties, Christians will always be affected more severely than others. This is because we have been given clear commandments from our God that must be obeyed. For example, in the case of King Nebuchadnezzar's decree, those who worshipped idols could simply add the king's statue to their list of false gods. Most of these pagans were polytheists, and therefore there was far less conflict in submitting to the king's demands. However, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were committed to worshiping Yahweh alone. Similarly, in the New Testament church of the first century, Domitian ruled as emperor over Rome. His cruelty was rivaled by that of Emperor Nero. Statues of him were sent all over the empire, and on appointed days, feasts were held where the entire population was required to pass before the images of Domitian, Domitian and bow before him as God. Once again, this was a blanket ruling. It wasn't specifically targeting Christians. It was a blanket ruling that affected the whole population of the Roman Empire. But Christians were the ones who were most frequently losing their lives. Why? 
It was due to their unparalleled allegiance to Christ. So in regards to the social restrictions against gatherings, all kinds of gatherings, due to COVID-19, although it is true that all Americans at some level are equally affected, not all Americans are bound by an allegiance to Scripture which clearly commands that Christians gather for corporate worship on the Lord's Day. Now, by this point, we have seen that even in the case of gatherings, we have double standards. If it's a protest for Black Lives Matter, well, all of a sudden, the restrictions fade away. They fall out to the sideline. But if it's a gathering for churches, well, now those restrictions come back into play. There is a double standard. But even if there weren't, even if it was perfectly equal about uh, in regards to restrictions for all public gatherings, it's going to affect Christians the most. Because Christians adhere to the clear commandments of Scripture. Whereas non-Christians are able to capitulate, comply, be flexible, because they are not bound by allegiance to the commandments of Christ. So in my assessment, it is nothing short of a tragedy to discover that some Christians in our nation actually believe that the only valid criteria for Christians righteously rebelling against the civil magistrate is if Christians are being exclusively targeted. Play that logic out for a moment. If this belief were to be consistently applied to the Christians living in China, for instance, even in just very recent years, we would have to say that these precious believers have been righteous regarding their decision to rebel against the civil magistrate in their land in order to gather in underground house churches, but sinful regarding their decision not to submit to the civil magistrate by handing over their extra children to be murdered through forced abortions by the civil authorities. What am I referencing? Well, I'm referencing China's historic one-child policy. See, when we speak of the importance of exercising charity, right? We don't want to take harsh, dogmatic, overly dogmatic stands in this season because the church is already very divided. We want to exercise charity toward one another. But when we talk about exercising charity, certainly we should all agree that holding a position that condemns any and all rebellion against the civil magistrate so long as Christians are not being singled out is far from charitable. If it was not righteous for Christian parents to seek to hide their extra children from a communist regime which sought to murder them, then I'm not sure that I am even aware of what true righteousness even is. And yet, we must recognize that the one-child policy of China has been historically applied evenly, that is, equally across the board for Christians and non-Christians alike. The one-child policy of China was not singling out Christians. So if your criteria, if you determine that the biblical criteria for Christians being able to righteously rebel for civil disobedience against the civil authorities is Christians being exclusively targeted, then Chinese Christians who sought to save the lives of their second, third, and fourth children were actually sinning because that was not a law that singled out Christians. Therefore, Christian Chinese Christians who sought to hide their children and not submit to the civil magistrate were in sin. 
They were rebelling against civil authorities, but not rebelling righteously. Certainly, we can't come to that theological conclusion. So to say that the biblical criteria for civil disobedience is Christians being exclusively targeted is a fallacious statement. I implore you not to hold that view. So then, what is the actual biblical criteria for Christians rebelling? Well, let's continue. Let me skip forward a little bit. In regards to our own civil magistrates ruling against churches during this present crisis, especially in the state of California, the reality is that we simply do not know what motives some of these officials had when influencing these decisions. As it currently stands, schools may be permitted to open in California, but they would be permitted to open before churches. And although parking lot services may be legal in the state of California, there are several pastors that don't have a parking lot available to them. So do the civil officials responsible for influencing these decisions have wicked motives in their hearts against the people of God? We can't say. We can't say with absolute cer certainty either way. However, it is quite possible, especially in a state, a liberal state, such as California. Therefore, it is both unbiblical and illogical to hold the position that Christians being definitively singled out is the only valid biblical criteria for rebelling against the civil magistrate. In instead, the clearest common denominator found in each of the biblical examples of righteously rebelling against the civil magistrate is this. Both men and women who feared the Lord righteously chose to rebel against their civil authorities wherever those officials required them to partake of something that God clearly forbids, or forsake something that God clearly commands. Let me say that again. The only clear biblical criteria that we can find from Scripture for when it is appropriate and even necessary for Christians to rebel against the civil magistrate is when those in positions of civil authority are requiring people to partake of something that God clearly forbids or forsake something that God clearly commands. Therefore, we must fairly consider whether or not the specific ruling in question in regards to COVID-19 does it in fact require Christians to disobey God's word. The question for us is this, does God, by the agency of his word, command us to regularly attend church? And the correct answer, of course, is an emphatic yes. This is demonstrated by Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, cross-referenced with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, multiple other biblical texts, and the overwhelming unified witness of church history. Therefore, in order for Christians to forsake the gathering in a manner that is acceptable before God, there must be a biblical reason for doing so. And this biblical reason must be something more than merely chanting Romans 13 as an incantation and then framing the most recent document signed by Governor Gavin Newsom on our bedroom walls. Perhaps the current challenges that we are facing require a little bit more complex thought, a little bit more biblical exegesis, a little bit more heavy lifting in the theological arena. 
Again, we must recognize that Romans 13 says nothing about submitting to governing officials when their decisions are not righteous. And it most assuredly says nothing about submitting to governing officials when their laws require the people of God to forsake something which God clearly commands. As a final note, how should we apply as Christians, Romans 13, but as Christians who happen to also be citizens of the United States of America? It is vital for us to recognize that as Christians in America, we are not subjects in a monarchy. Instead, we are citizens of a republic. We are not ultimately subject to a sovereign human official because the highest civil magistrate in our land is not a human official, but rather a document, namely the Constitution of the United States of America. Therefore, a reasonable argument can be made for Christians righteously rebelling against lesser civil magistrates, aka governors or mayors, in order to righteously submit to a higher civil magistrate, namely the Constitution, which clearly outlines our freedom of worship and the right to peaceably assemble, that is, the First Amendment. In fact, it is only because of the courage of some churches here in California who, like John MacArthur, have exercised their rights under the Constitution to protest unjust laws that were set forth by the governor in California that certain gatherings with the church are now deemed as being legal. So, in summary, Blake, the biblical criteria for civil disobedience is simply put this. When those in positions of civil authority are requiring us to forsake something that God commands or partake of something that God forbids, we not only may but as the people of God must rebel. And when we rebel, when we have courage and exercise proper biblical civil disobedience, it begins to pave the way for freedom for others. And I believe that that's what we're seeing going on in our nation and especially in my state of California right now. Men like John MacArthur taking a stand and practicing a biblical example of civil disobedience. It's what's creating, it's pushing back against those wicked civil authorities who are overstepping their jurisdiction and commanding and forbidding things that they don't have the right to do. First and foremost, according to the scripture, but even secondarily, according to our, our nation's constitution. And it's courage exercised by pastors and Christians and churches that ultimately paved the way for religious freedom for others. In our nation, we have been given an extraordinary privilege of religious freedom. And for churches to roll over and play dead in a moment like this, to just hand over that precious freedom that people died for, to, to, to allow our nation to, to go the way of, of other nations where there is not religious freedom, to look at Christians in China and say, well, if that becomes our future as Christians in America, okay. Now, nobody's saying that. No Christian is saying, yeah, I want our nation to be like China in regards to religious freedom. 
But, but what they don't realize is that evil only has its way when good men do nothing. So, is there a biblical category for civil disobedience? You betcha. What's the biblical criteria? When those in civil authority command us to do something that God forbids, or they forbid us from doing something that God commands. Does God command churches to gather? Yes. Are there those in, in positions of civil authority trying to forbid us from doing something that God commands? Yes. What do we do as the church? Rebel. Rebel. Don't hand over the precious freedom that we have in this nation. If the church does nothing in this hour, I believe that historians, both secular and Christian alike, for centuries will look back on this moment and say, that's when the church gave in to cowardice and handed over one of the most precious commodities that it had. Don't do it. Thanks for the question, Blake. All right. Thank you, Blake. And thank you for all of our listeners. We are uh, grateful for Pastor Joel's time today. And we just wanted to take a moment to encourage anybody listening who enjoys this content and wants to help support us to produce more content like us to become a responder, uh, which is our club membership. And so we're going to be producing some special content for that subscription in the coming months. And mm -hmm. so we would love to have you hop on board and help support Pastor Joel and the ministry that he's doing here through uh, Right Response Ministries. So thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Questions. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com slash offer. And thank you for your generous support.